uh, two and ten answered that question, didn't it? That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, July the 21st. Um, yes, we, we skipped a week. Um, I appreciate those of you who reached out to me to make sure we were okay. Um, and if you missed the pod last week, I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, vacations, all that fun stuff um, just made a lot of sense to, to take the week off and then regroup and come back. Which, coincidentally enough, we have we have a lot to talk about on this here evening. Uh, we will discuss sort of where Virginia's recruiting efforts are, both on the football and basketball side, um, as well as kind of talking a little bit about, you know, obviously ACC kickoff is, is underway as we record this down in Charlotte. Um, Coastal Division went today. Atlantic goes tomorrow. I would imagine we'll get some sort of preseason LACC and all that fun stuff in the days thereafter. But um, it... it it, it, it feels like in some ways we haven't quite cleared the hurdles of the pandemic, but you know what? Conference realignment is back in the conversation. So in some ways, you know, I know this joke is tired, but I don't care. Nature is healing. Um, I, I saw a bunch of people talking about how the, the Wi-Fi in the Westin in Charlotte is terrible, which, you know, is another sign that nature is healing. Um, so anyway, so we're going to get into all that. And I also caught up with um, um, Andy Ludicky. Um from myperfectfranchise.net. We'll play that conversation for you um, midway through the show. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the program. What's going on, my dude? Just another day, another dollar, Brad. It, it was a good, it was nice to have a week off. Um, work was a pain in the butt, but the week off from the pod was nice. I'm sorry if you missed us. Um, one of the benefits for working for, you know, doing a podcast for the second biggest brand in the Commonwealth um, who days on the board at who days on Twitter. Wait, what's the biggest one? I don't know. I don't get the joke. You didn't hear Fuente today. Oh no, I didn't. What did he say? <laughs> Called Virginia tech, the biggest brand in the Commonwealth. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, the seven five seven is very upset with that. All right. Um, I've <laughs> been <laughs> loud and staff writer. Justin Ferber is also back on the show. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'd like to think I'm the biggest Brown, uh, biggest. Brown. Wow. Wow. Biggest, yeah. uh, <laughs> wow. The biggest brown at truck. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> at Justin underscore verbal. <laughs> you just completely punted. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, nope, we're punting this. UVA nope. might not have a punter, but I can do it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates and content items and the occasional witty banter. Um, let's I'm not having ha- a stroke, by the way, if anybody was wondering. <laughs> and he has not been drinking, but so heavily. Just rusty. Um, rusty from just, a week off. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about football recruiting. Let's start with football side. Um, I, I don't want to say that Virginia's taken some L's in the last week, but it's been you know a rash of decisions of kids who either – um, had been seriously considering UVA, or at least UVA was seriously considering them. Um, certainly there has been an uptick in the angst, which is interesting because they just picked up two commitments in one day the other day. 
Um, but it certainly does seem like a lot of the guys that were on the board are sort of coming off. And I wonder if that's not as much a function of just sort of the timing of everything. You know, when you give kids a month to take official visits, some of those kids are going to make decisions thereafter without waiting until fall. And some of them are not going to break your way. Um, so before we get too deep into the weeds on this, generally speaking, Dave, as the hand ringer in chief, <laughs> whether whether you deserve that moniker or not, yeah. it's just a thing at this point. Yeah, um, just, yeah. so, tattooed, I, I guess. <laughs> I know a guy. I've, I, yeah. you know, I, I know a guy. But what's uh, where are you? Where do you stand? Are you worried about the twenty two class in any way, shape, or form? No, I'm not. Um, twenty two class is kind of weird to me. Like I really don't know what we need because. Look, we saw the team last year, right? But we also had guys who were not playing. We also had a team that you know has some youth that didn't get to go through the normal like will development and strength thing that Bronco has kind of you know made his roster from. Um, you know, bringing in guys who aren't highly recruited, building them up, getting them strong, and turning them into players. Um, so I don't really have a full understanding of what's on the roster currently given all those limitations they had last year. So maybe because of that, I don't like other than defensive back, which I think they've done a good job. You know, they recognize as an issue they're recruiting they're you know, going to the transfer portal for that. Um, you know, defensive back and offensive line is where it is, you know, and I like the pieces they've added on the offensive line. Um, I like some of the athletes they've added, you know, um, the guy from Atorga, uh, Keyshawn Burgos or Burgos, yeah. I don't know Burgos, his yeah. last name. I like. I mean, I think he's that he's that Charles Snowden like dude who you can bring in and and turn into a, you know an outside rusher. I like Brody. I like, you know that, that Joe Brown kid's going to be good in a couple of years. You've also got um, Gentry coming in, so it's like look, they, they've got some good pieces uh, in place. I'd like to win them all, but you can't. Um, and also don't know what the ultimate decisions are going to be on those, you know, the super seniors and all that stuff going down the road and how that translates. But as you, as I've mentioned on podcast before, to me, like I think you're recruiting now is in the portal more than the high school rank. So yeah. you get the guys who are fully bought in and if they're not committing to you, they're not fully bought in. So I'd rather go find a transfer. Now in, in the big picture, let's, they have 12 commitments right now. Um, in this class, it's probably going to be 15 to 18 ish in terms of the numbers. And, and that depends on like a million other factors in general, but, but yeah, Burgos, listen, he's a perfect example of the kind of kid that this staff does well with. Right. Um, Virginia, you know, does well with, with kids with this kind of size. He's got an 84 inch wingspan. Um, you're talking about like a 28 inch vertical. You're talking about a, nine four broad jump um yeah he's a really athletic bendy sort of kid who fits them perfectly but i also understand the counterpoint to that is well okay that's great but right like one of bronco's things was each year he wants every recruiting class to be better than the last one right he wants every group to be a step forward so that you know you're continuing to have that what does he call it um unbroken growth and I think when you look at this at this at the on-field output last year, and you have to take COVID into account, but when you look at the out, on-field output, they didn't take that next step forward. Yeah, you know, admittedly coming off of an Orange Bowl season, coming off of an ACC championship game appearance, what was the next step? Well, probably to win the ACC or to go and win the Orange Bowl, right? 
Um, but they weren't anywhere real close to that. They had a lot of issues last year, especially, you know, that defensive secondary, as we've talked about. So recruiting, I think, has been a thing where they have, a, you know, continually gotten better. And this class so far had so much promise. It was They were so well positioned with a lot of these, you know, kind of kids. Now, in losing DeMond Claiborne, Verber, I feel like Virginia was put in a spot where they would love to have had both him and Xavier Brown. But once Brown came off the board, you know, that was just that, – that one's teed up for Wake Forest to use against him. Um, and there have been other guys in this class who, you know – Guys who Virginia was at least at one point either the leader for, you know, maybe even had a silent commitment from when other positions, you know, other commitments, excuse me, seem to, you know, soak up the space. This one, I think, was one where it, it, it's pretty clear to me that the kid probably would have committed had, you know, things been equal, but they weren't. They changed. And, you know, very few schools are if they're if they're anywhere in the conversation, anybody who read the. The stuff with Claiborne understood that, like, yes, Virginia was was a you know obviously a huge school for him, but so was Wake, and that was ne- that that never changed throughout his whole career recruitment. In the big picture, though, how concerned are you as you look at the landscape in twenty two? Is it is it they have to figure out now a way to get Anderson and Rice in order for them to you know still have a quote unquote good class? Do you care so much about some of the decisions that have gone you know against UVA in the last you know week to ten days? What are your feelings on twenty two right now? Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of talked about this not too long ago, and, and we were talking about how, like, you know, what you do at the top of the class is really important, but also, like, you want to have a complete class top to bottom. Um, you know, the guys at the bottom of the of the class and rankings, you want those guys to be able to come in and, and contribute in some way, whether it's right away or later. Um, you can't have, like, three good players in a class and a bunch of guys that end up gone or washed out or they're there for five years and never play. Um so far, I really like what they've done to this point in the class. Like, I think it's a good class. Um, obviously, you know, there's been some stuff that's gone against them in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if that's going to continue or not. Um, but I, I think it, it's sort of, I think a lot of people have the tendency when they look at recruiting to look at like, it's very binary where it's like, Oh, well, if they're not getting this player, then they're just not good. Like there's yeah. something wrong. Right. 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 It's two things at once. It's, it's both a, I think first from the player standpoint, it's an individual decision. These are these end of these decisions. Sometimes obviously there are um, package deals and all that good stuff. Um, but for the most part, these are decisions that are made in a vacuum. And, you know, you just mentioned a situation where one commitment affected another player. That's a good, like, but does that mean that they can't recruit defensive backs now because, like, a running back was, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, these commitments are oftentimes, like, you know, they're individual decisions. Obviously, that doesn't mean that you can't still check the trends over time and see, like, hey, you know, this this staff really doesn't close well or, you know, like, they're not doing well in state. Those things, I think those are all real concerns. Um, but I also trust this coaching staff to find guys that they think can come in and make a difference. Um, with rice, I would say that that's pretty much like, uh, you know, it's a, on the one hand, it's a commitment that you wouldn't expect them to get from anybody, but him, you know, like you wouldn't expect them to go get a a five-star from Texas or whatever, but, um, you know, they have a lot going in their favor in this one in, in terms of proximity, familiarity, you know, 
he's familiar with the program. He's a legacy in a sense. Um, seems to have a good relationship with, you know, the coaching staff, but um, I'm not saying if you don't get him, like the whole class is a bust cause that's not how football works. Um, but I think if you get him and then add a solid class underneath, then you did a pretty good job. You closed out your top target for the whole class. Um, job well done. Everybody goes home happy. Um, and, and we'll see where we, they go from there. But yeah, I think, I think it's okay to be like, Hey, you know, like when are the, when's the uh, worm going to turn and, and they're going to be able to start getting these in-state guys that a couple years ago we were like, Oh, they can't get them cause they haven't won yet. And then it's like, okay, well now they're starting to win a little bit more. Um, like when's that going to change? And, and I think North Carolina certainly took a dent out of, out of what UVA might've been able to do in state with their coaching change um, and subsequent recruiting. But um, I, again, I think that people should remember that these are usually individual commitments and, and one, one bad stretch doesn't necessarily, it's not an indictment of like everything that they're doing. Um, but you do also need things to turn around or else that, you know, it's not just a individual decision here and there. It is a real trend, especially in state for this. Yeah. I, I think I want to talk about two, two separate things, two trains that kind of carry the, the, um, the expectation um, vibe on, 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 on the tracks. Right. One hand is the idea that like, okay, if they don't get X player, right. Um, you know, think about, um, I'm trying to think of guys that they've really missed out on who, who, cha- who could have changed the whole complexion of their class. Um, and why is his name suddenly escaping me? Oh my gosh. Mammoth offensive lineman from Highland Springs. Um, why, am I, why can I not think of um, Beckton? Yeah. So yeah. when they didn't get Beckton, that obviously was a huge blow because he was a kid that had all of the sort of, um, you know, been around the program forever. They were in a great spot, such, 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 right? If they get Rice, that obviously changes the way a lot of people look at this class. It also changes and it makes a direct impact on the actual sort of succession planning of the offensive line. Now, whether Fisher Anderson ends up at UVA or ends up at Stanford, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. It certainly does feel like, you know, that one was UVA's to lose and maybe Stanford's made, you know, the push to, to get him. Um, but in terms of Rice, he's the kind of kid who, who checks off so many boxes all at once, right? He's an in-state guy. He's a legacy. He's at a position where you really have not done a, a killer job with the highest of high profiles, right? Now, that's not to say that that the guys they've gotten on the offensive line have been, you know, bad. They, they, they landed Brody Meadows this year, which was important. Um, they obviously um, have done well at that position um, otherwise. But in terms of the in-state top flight offensive linemen, they just have not they have not always done well with, right? So that's a perception thing, right? The other train to me, aside from, you know, that perception piece, is the in-state piece, right? Is that you look at the, you look at the class, and yeah, they, they, you know, they have a couple of guys here and there from Virginia, but they have not done a great job of, you know, in, by any stretch of putting a fence around the state or anything like that. And what I find sort of fascinating about all of this is that if you think about the way recruiting works in general, the way we all sort of view it, and certainly the way fans view it, it's like a game within a game, right? Yes, you want great recruits so that your teams can be good, but you also want great recruits because it's like its own thing, right? 
But the way Bronco looks at recruiting is specific to the way it impacts the actual roster. Now, that's not to say that Bronco's like unique in this, but I just want to, like, there's a difference here that I think is kind of sizable, right? It is significant in the sense of, like, could Virginia have gone out and signed more than one defensive lineman? Absolutely, right? Could they have gone out, excuse me, defensive tackle? Could they have gone out and gotten multiple running backs? Sure. And in past regimes, they probably would have, right? Um, now, I'm not arguing that Virginia shouldn't be doing a better job when it comes to higher-rated players. I'm just saying that if you're trying to only fit the model against rankings and against numbers, because class you know, supremacy it really kind of depends on how many good dudes you got, not just how many you know, dudes you got, right? There's this balance between the number of commits you get and how well-rated and, and ranked they are. Um, all of this is a long way to say that, like, I think if they get Rice, that changes the entire narrative for them, especially in this class. But it won't change the entire narrative for them as they go forward. They're still going to need to do better in state continually. I don't forget which one of you guys made the point, but, like, they have won, right? They they broke the streak in stack. They should be able to cash in some of that. Now, COVID coming when it did, everything shut down the way it had. I can understand why some of those inherent in-state um, those inherent sort of in-state advantages were sort of lost, right? It's a little bit like having a full roster after you win a national championship. Um, and But at, this, at the end of the day, the opportunity should be there, and they've got to bring in players that not only are going to do what Bronco needs them to do, but also that are, as he says, better than the guys that were there in the last class. And I think that's a big focal point for him. Let's move over to the hoop side. It's been several weeks of, obviously, of um, live periods and things like that. They'll, they'll finish up one more this weekend. In terms of the big picture there, with McNeely obviously shown very well um, in his games thus far this summer, Dave, how are you feeling about basketball recruiting? What's, what's, your, what's your general sense and, and, and where, where are your concerns on that front right now? I, I'm supposed to be hand-wringing, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you just be you. Uh, no. You just no, I mean, look, I mean, it's clear. Like, I'm glad we got McNeely. Like, that dude's good, and I think he he gives the staff. I think we're seeing that he gives the staff a lot of flexibility with his ability to play on and off the ball. Gives him a chance. I think he he gave the staff a chance to decide which point guard they liked better, 2022 or 2023. And judging by where Tony's been and and the new offers, it seems he he prefers the 2023 options. Um, you know, over Nunez or whoever else they were looking at in 2022. And without McNeely being able to play on the ball, you wouldn't, I don't think that's necessarily something you can afford to do. Um, you know, obviously you got Reese in the program and Kihei could have two years left. And you know, I think everyone's, <clears throat> excuse me, hunches he'll take advantage of that, but it's not a guarantee. But in the event he decided not to, I think you can get by with Reese and McNeely in, in a pinch. Um, but yeah, it's clear the staff is going after Trout, and you know the, the question for me with the class becomes what happens if they don't get him because they put a lot of eggs in that basket, and I don't know who the of the other guys they've offered other than what the Phillips. I don't think that's the the five star kid, right? Um, I don't know if there's a guy on the board who does what Trout does. Um, you know, since the ball is more of a small guard, be I mean smaller. They literally, wing. just offered a power forward like ten minutes ago. 
Oh, did they? Yeah. yeah. And then Bond is obviously a smaller wing. Which who they offer that dude from? It's the guy from Florida. I, I don't know his name off the top of my head. Oh yeah. Um. This is what happens when you record a podcast. <laughs> Malik Renew. Malik Renew. Yeah. Renault. Yeah, Renault. Renault. Shout out to at who's got next for the scoop, even though I'm sure he got that from the person's Twitter account. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he definitely Not tweeted. no offense. That's what we all do. Not, I'm trying to remember what we call him the business of tease, but I have a lot of more on him in the war room, just FYI. Oh, good deal. So I, I haven't watched enough of his game to tell you what he is. I don't know if he's more of a back to the basket guy than Trout is or not, but six seven ish, I guess. Um sense of all like different player than Trout, but I mean, it just depends. I like the guys they're offering. Um, I mean, I think Sensiball is a little his, – his game is pretty good. He looks like – I don't want to call him Zion, but he's got some of those characteristics, you know, using that body and and stuff. But um, obviously, Trout's number one on my list. I think where getting him is kind of going to affect where the class goes from there. Um, I like Bond's game. I like Sensiball's game. And then the 2023 guys like Gabe Cups and Reed Shepard, they look pretty good. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like where, I like who they're offering. I like who they're following. It's just a matter of which one they get. So do you think that the fact that like imagine a world where they don't have um, McNeely, right? Yeah, um, and you're in a that, whole different spot. Right, that changes everything. I think the thing about having a guy like McNeely in in when, especially because it's basketball, so there's you know not a whole lot of um, you know. There's just not a lot of space compared to football. Even though, one, they seem to have changed their trajectory on the point guard recruiting, right, for 22. Then, two, there's the piece of it where it's like, okay, well, if that's not the spot, and they have all of these, you know, scholarships available, Ferber, they could go big. And there definitely are a number of guys that they're uh, in a good spot for. The problem, of course, is that they're not looking to fill every spot. Um, I, I think in the in the transfer portal era, you're kind of crazy if you try that, you know, granted you might be stuck if you go through a rash of injuries or what have you, but realistically, like you can't, you can't keep that many dudes happy. You're much you're also just to give yourself some flexibility. You're not as incentivized to take a flyer on a project. That's like, very true. Point? Unless you're, unless you're just really sure that that, unless you're like, Hey, it's, unless you're like, it's Jay Huff, like where it's like, eventually he's going to be good, you know, and we know that, um, or Momity or whatever, you know, yeah. might have true. to sit a year. DeAndre Hunter, um, those kind of guys. Like, what's the point of taking a guy that you're like, hey, it might pan out, it might not, if you can just hold on to the scholarship and maybe turn it into Jaden Gardner in two years? Like, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. But what I was going to say, too, is that, so, like, for me, you know, when you look at the board, right, so Trout, Bond is, a, is an, ex, an especially interesting player for them because he does all the things that they really need a guy to do. And, frankly, he does all the things that Virginia didn't really have a guy that could do last year. If we're going to be, you know, we're going to call a spade a spade, right? They didn't have, you know, that sort of Braxton Key dude. Now, they believe that this guy can be that. Um, Sensiball and Bond, I think, can play together. Um, Sensiball is a kid, I think, and, and again, I'll, I'll get into this more in the war room on Friday, but he's a kid who, because he didn't play, um, you know, last season, um, you know, they just didn't, they, they've been recruiting him, they just didn't know what he was going to be. He showed up in the Scholastic events, and they were like, oh. And now, you know, he's really put it out there consistently on the um, AAU circuit as well. Um, you know, the fact that they offered Renault, you know, they, they have not seen a lot of bigs that they liked. And that was the one thing for me, which was, you, you 
usually the way this works is the bigs who, who can move, right? A, a guy who can hedge on a screen and get down the lane, an actual true mobile big, he's going to have a whole lot of offers at this point because kids like that, they stand out quick. It's the guys who have time, need time to develop. Um, you know, maybe some guys who shot up uh, in terms of a growth spurt and have not sort of, you know, gotten out of that sort of like puppy phase where they can't they don't know how to stop that kind of thing. Um, so the lack of big focus has been interesting. But then if you look at the way that they're piling up guards in 23, you know, they're doing a whole lot of early work and that's usually the classes that work out well for them. So Ferber in general, how do you feel about who's recruiting right now? Yeah, I had the same thought about 2023. Um, you know, I feel like UVA, I, I can't really compare them too much to, I don't have like a spreadsheet with this sort of data, but I feel like they're a little bit more stingy with offers early on than some of their, you know, colleagues in the sport. Um, and, you know, like they kind of wait until they like a guy and then they get in and sometimes it's too late. Um, other times it's like, you know, you identify the guy really early, the Ty Jerome's of the world and you lock them down early. And I think, they're at least trying to do that for 2023. Um, you know, they're, it feels like this year, maybe it's like a COVID thing too, where it's like now they're, they're getting to see these guys in person more for the first time um, and stuff like that. So maybe they're kind of have like a backlog of guys that they're offering, but um, yeah, I thought that was interesting for 2022. I'm definitely not freaking out about anything because I mean, I think their top remaining target um is not committed anywhere yet. And UVA seems to be in a pretty good spot. Um, and unless you think there's some sort of contagious inability to recruit that goes across the street from the McHugh center to JPJ, I don't think that UVA like can't recruit or anything like that. Um, so I, I think that time will tell. I mean, I guess I would say kind of check back on this in a few months. And if they, if they whiff on a few guys, um, then maybe there's a little bit of reason for concern, but I, I kind of don't think that they're going to. So um, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic on trout for, for the most part um, bond. I, it's hard to get a read because all the logical stuff would point him to Marquette. Um, but it, you know, UVA does pretty well with the Wisconsin kids and um, you know, it, it seems like his interest in UVA is pretty genuine. So um, I, I think he's planning to commit what in the next few weeks. So yeah, the, um, the idea seems to be that he's going to decide relatively soon. Not, I mean, I wouldn't say like the day after the live periods are over, but probably I would say by this point next month, he's, he's working towards it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. And, and I it mean, sounds so like, like, yeah, Go ahead. it sounds like Marquette Marquette been talking to various folks. Marquette thinks the UVA is the biggest competition and this sounds silly, but the folks, <laughs> Folks I've talked to think, you know, the word I heard was that Cincinnati thinks that they're third, <laughs> which I was like, oh, that that must that must think. But clearly, I like to think that they're like okay with that too. They're like, we'll take third. That's fine. I know there's only three teams, but third's not bad. I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's no there's no third place prize. But no, he's a you know, and I think this is a good question to to circle back onto what Dave said earlier. You know, what happens if Trout goes elsewhere? Like Virginia's done. You know, to Ferber's point about being stingy, like clearly with this class because they were going to wait to get eyes on kids. You know, it was going to take him a while to, you know, to offer. And those offers have come. But the recruiting piece of it has not, you know, it's not like they just, you know, Sensible was a kid, for example, that they recruited a lot be well before he ever offered. Same thing with, with Renault tonight. Um, you know, I think this is a, 
it's a calculated sort of decision that the coaching staff is very upfront with the kid about, right? Like, hey, we want to watch you play. We're not going to just going to throw an offer out. And I do think that ultimately, you know, the kind of kid who is going to pick Virginia, who kind of wants to go to a program, develop all this stuff, I don't think they're going to be scared away because the coach told me that I needed to play well and they needed to see me and evaluate me. And then that's when I got my offer. You know, now there had definitely been instances where Virginia had offered early, they could have closed kids. And we don't need to retread every one of them. But at the same token, you look at this class and sort of the um, totality of circumstances, and it certainly feels like um, there's a lot to, to like. And certainly the way 23 is setting up, there's a lot to like there as well um, with the guys that they've offered. In some ways, it does parallel the footy, the football class to me. Like, I mean, maybe I'm being a little overdramatic on it, but Trout's kind of your – your Zach Rice with this class. A little um, bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think if you get Trout, just because, like, clearly the coaches think he's their number one target, they're, they're not afraid to let it be known well, I mean, by he's, yeah, no, showing he's everyone that he's there. Target, no doubt. Um, so if they get him, I think anything they add to it is just gravy. If they don't get him, they got to add some interesting pieces to make it a good class for 2022. Um, yeah, same with football and Rice. Um, but, yeah, it's I – mean, I, I like the guys they're going after. I, I think they all fit what Virginia has historically had when they had good teams. Um, I still would like to see the Akil Mitchell side. <laughs> Evidently, it's not a, like not a lot of six ten dudes who can jump out of the gym running around right now. Um, I guess they're all shooting threes, right, and handling the rock now. So, um, but you know, I think you can see a little bit of that in Bond, even though he's not super tall. He's got those really long arms. Um, and Sensible is almost like Jaden Gardner, like, you know, um, kind of that boxy guy. And this guy tonight, like, I'll have to watch some on him. But I know they've been looking at some bigs. I just don't think there's a ton of them out there. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they like a handful of them, but not enough to offer and certainly not enough to make them, yeah. you know, Tony, you know, is sitting in the front of their games. I, I will. This one will be interesting because there are some kids like, you know, the um, – some of the teams are done. Like McNeely's, you know, he's his AU team is done, so he's going to be in top 100. Um, yeah, which I hate the fact yeah. that I won't be able to go there. But anyway, yeah, um, not to beat a dead drum on like the transfer thing, but if you look at what Virginia is going to put on the court for this season, um, you know, a lot of guys who could potentially be on the team again next year. So in some ways, having that open spot makes a lot of sense because you might need one piece to make the 20, you know. What was that 2022, 2023 team? Um, two years, you know, not next year's team, but the year after. They could potentially need like one guy in one spot to make the elite. So, you know, a game ready guy instead of a, yeah. a recruit. So I think you really got to like him to to, off, yeah, to tie up that yeah. spot for him. Well, I think that's a good place to uh, to pause the conversation. Well, let's talk to um, to Andy Ludicky, uh from myperfectfranchise.net and uh, see what he's been up to. We are joined now by Andy Ludicky, who is um, um, with MyPerfectFranchise.net, our uh, our sponsor and our uh, our gracious friend. Andy, how are you, my friend? How has it been going? How are things? I'm doing great, Brad. Uh, it's great to be on here. And uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm real excited. I'm doing really great because I'm heading out on a two-week vacation on Saturday. Ah, Not wait to get out of the nice. east and up into Colorado. I hear you. Um, I, I spent a little bit of time at the beach and then was back home for a little bit and then went back to the beach with my sister for a few days. Um, so I, I've, I've definitely gotten that, uh, that little recharge. It's, it's funny how after a while that you've been gone, 
you come back and you're like, wait, how do I do this? What what is this supposed to be? Like, you're, it's 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 weird how quickly our brains, you know, get used to not doing things, you know, not doing stuff. It's it's very interesting to me. Now, in we haven't caught up, I don't think, uh, since the College World Series, right? Like, uh, since you know Texas and UVA and uh, and obviously the way everything played out in Omaha. What did you think of the the College World Series? Well, I, you know, I got to watch obviously us play y'all, and uh, I I think I posted it on your board, but uh, Stephen Shock love. I mean, I just I started googling for sound bites from that guy as soon as I uh, started hearing him talk. He's such an interesting character. Um, but as, as far as the whole college world series, obviously I was disappointed because, you know, I'm a Texas fan. I wanted us to win it all, but, uh, the really, the big disappointment was NC state. And I, I feel like they were the hottest team out there. I, you guys might not hear, like, hear me say that, but gosh, <laughs> than what happened to them there. And maybe that's their own fault for not getting vaccinated or whatever. Don't need to get into the political discussion there, but gosh, it just kind of was anticlimactic having them kind of get, kicked out of the tournament there and, and, and Bandy walking into the finals. Yeah. It's not obviously not quite the same because, you know, UVA wasn't in a position to sort of, you know, win the ACC tournament or play in the final when, when they got kind of um, when their time in, in the, in the ACC tournament uh, ended, but yeah, it's a tough way to, to, for things to, to go and certainly um, brutal for those guys whose careers were, were going to be over. I, I think the thing about the college world series that I will take away from is one, it, it it was the first time, other than maybe the NBA playoffs, where you know you 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 had an actual kind of full ballpark, right? A full fan experience that it reminds you just how different it, games are when there are actually people there. Um, which you know, f- for a long time, obviously we all you know we never would have thought about it. it. Was just a foregone conclusion, and and then all of a sudden it was like, oh right, you know that's that's something that actually plays a big you know part of the game and and part of the. Um, the plan. I, I think back to, to UVA losing uh, to to Mississippi State, and man, there were just a couple of plays in that game that you felt like if they went the other way, you know, that's how close UVA was. I don't know if you, as a Texas fan, felt the same way about the Horns. Um, one thing I did come away from the <laughs> series thinking about is the the you know the that Tennessee and Texas were both there, and the whole thing about the the logo. And I'm sure you're aware of this, right? That the that the you know east of the Mississippi. The, the proceeds for that logo used to go to Tennessee and then west of the Mississippi, the proceeds used to go to Tennessee or excuse me, to Texas. Um, and I kept seeing the two of them and like, I couldn't, I couldn't shake that. You know, I couldn't, I could never like think like in my head, which one of them was straight, except then you saw the jerseys and Tennessee's were just absolutely awful. Um, I'm not sure what that gray situation was, but it should be burned and never uh, looked at again. Um, but yeah, so, is uh, orange, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and as you know, having covered a school for a long time and been to plenty of UVA games, I've seen a lot of different versions of different orange. And with Virginia Tech, obviously down the road, wearing orange as well. Um, Tennessee continues to do all the wrong things with the orange, which I've always thought was hysterical. But anyway, um, <laughs> now you you obviously you just got back from a, a conference. You said right a a, a, a conference where you. You, you seem to come away with a lot of uh, a lot of energy on the on the work front. Tell me a little bit about what you took away from the conference and certainly some of the um, some of the things that are kind of happening on the franchise front. Well, so just to back up on this conference, um, you know, when when I was in the corporate world, Brad, I, a conference was a nightmare for me. It was getting up early and having to listen to a bunch of lectures or just people talking and not very interactive and 
not a lot of breaks. And then, yeah, you'd go out with your, your colleagues at, at night and drink and hang out. <laughs> burn the candle at both ends but it was the, the the conference format was it was always felt like work and well when you go to one of these franchise conferences I've, I've said it 10 times while i was there it just never feels like work because first of all i guess being a, a business owner you just start to have a passion for businesses and and business models and and uh i just love learning about them so it just makes the conference go by too fast, honestly. Um, I could have stayed there and had two more days of learning and, and been super happy to do so. So it's just really educational. And the format here is not just having somebody speak, it's it's very interactive. We have like or 60 of our top franchisors that we work with there. And it's the CEOs and uh, their development reps, by the way, uh, in the franchise world, they don't say the word sales. It's always, they use development rep. Um, that's the little trick lingo there. But anyway, um, you, you get updates from all of these franchisors about what's going on in their systems for the last six months or a year. It's been a while since we've been able to get together in person. So um, it was a really great update to get in front of them or have them get in front of us and, and interact with them. But the, the biggest takeaway was brick and mortar is back open and, and, and doing well and real estate is is has softened ti money tenant improvement dollars are higher than ever um but brick and mortar as a whole had a pretty significant hiccup in 2020 um with the issue um whereas on the flip side the service-based businesses out there um they were kind of deemed essential they might have had a real minor hiccup for a month or so right at the beginning in march of last year but my gosh the the return, same store, year over year growth that franchisors are reporting, record numbers in the end of like the second half of 2020. And then the the demand has not slowed down. It's only increased in 2021. So any kind of service-based business is just thriving beyond their any other numbers that they ever had, or mm-hmm. I want to say wildest dreams right now, but uh it's just been a lot of success in service-based businesses overall, um, in spite of COVID. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, in terms of brands, you mentioned that there were, um, you know, some new opportunities there for folks if they were interested in in, in the franchise route. So, w- tell me about some of the the brands that now are, are sort of out there and and what you're hearing. Well, <laughs> let's see here. You know, I, I'll, I'll I'll lead with uh, the most interesting brand that just got released as an emerging brand is a kind of a spin like before COVID hit the in the brick and mortar space probably the most um, popular, the largest growing, most successful, all those great buzzwords uh, were around boutique fitness. You think Orange Theory, Cycle Bar, uh, Pure Bar, Club Pilates, uh, F45, those boutique fitness, those 2,000 square foot, 2,500 square foot boxes that have uh, monthly memberships, they were just crushing it. they got to hit a little bit of COVID and, and they're back up and running again now, but, but we got a brand that just came to us in the name of its body 20. And it's a little bit of a different spin on boutique fitness or a lot different spin. It's a smaller than a 2,500 square foot footprint. Um, so real estate is low. It's like a, a 1,500 to a, a thousand to 1,500 square footprint. And it's a body suit that you put on, and there's electric charges that that stimulate the muscle groups and 
what really blew my mind is how this works compared to an Orange Theory fitness class. So uh, the CEO was telling me that in a one Orange Theory fitness class, 45 minute class, you are going to have 13 to 1600 uh, muscle contractions throughout your body. In a 20 minute body 20 body suit workout, you have 33,000. So it is exponentially greater than, than what you get out of a, of a very intense workout, like through an orange theory or whatever. So this body 20 suit has really got my attention. I've still got a lot more to learn about it, but um, it sure sounds like it, it's a, a, a real impressive workout opportunity. And it's, it's also for those folks that maybe can't do high impact um, or, and, and it's also like they, they told me stories about somebody that was paralyzed that was able to start walking again because the, the muscle contraction suit that Body20 uses was able to dig down deep into the, the muscles and, and, and attack muscle fibers that haven't ever been, been able to re-reach before. Um, that's my real unscientific approach to it, by the way. But, uh, and then a, another person, um, so we had somebody that was paralyzed and another person that uh, couldn't have, uh, I think it was a, a, a childbearing issue or so, something like that, a female related problem that Body20 was able to fix by, by increasing muscle tone in areas that again, can't be reached. So I'm really, real excited about Body20 as a new brand um, in our space. And then I'll tell you, uh, that's on the, on, the, uh, on the brick and mortar side. On the service-based side, a business that I really like a lot right now that has really, if, if you peel back the layers, has really caught my attention is the roofing business. Mighty Dog Roofing is, is, is one, and there's, there's two that I work with. My, Mighty Dog is one of them, but uh, StormGuard is the other. The roofing business is really interesting, Brad. It's, it is, when you think about ticket price for services, I don't think that there is a higher average ticket out there than the cost of a new roof, at least in the franchise world, it's substantial. You know, a new roof can cost $30,000 or more maybe. So it's the roofing business is really high average ticket. And then what's really unique to it is sometimes in the, the service-based business world, the, the Betty Homemaker, I'll call her, she's got a very keen eye for design and, and, and can critique like the paint color on a wall or the, 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 the skill of the job. Well, in the roofing world, Betty Homemaker is not getting up on the roof. Not to say that you're supposed to do a bad job on the roof now, but it just, you're having lower le level workers out there and now you don't have to worry about the perfect angle or whatever as much. You're, it doesn't get drilled down. So you really, as a business owner, you focus on great customer service then. And another really unique thing to the roofing business is you don't have your laborers going in and out of the home, which is a little bit of a liability. Not a big deal, but it's just another one of those things that makes that roofing business really kind of stand out to me right mm -hmm. now. Super high average ticket and just focus on customer service and, and support and, uh, and you can have a really big business. So those are the two, if I was gonna give you a brick and mortar and a service takeaway from conference, those are the two I'd, I'd lead with. Awesome. Well, if uh, folks out there who are interested in uh, talking more with Andy about, you know, what he does and, you know, he's, he's obviously, you know, his experience in, in this field and certainly his ability to sort of break down what, what it, what it all looks like and, and how it all works. Um, you can give him a call at 404-973-9901. He does a, 
uh, a very thorough and sort of free consultation that works through not just in terms of, you know, whether this is an opportunity that's right for you, but also, you know, whether, you know, you're right for the opportunity. Um, and he's very much in the, in, the, in the business of making sure that the match is right on both sides, not just in terms of, you know, hooking you up with something that's not going to work for you. But you can give him a call at 404-973-9901, or you can email him Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Andy, sir, thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, Brad. Hey, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. All right, my thanks again to Andy for his support of Cavs Corner and certainly of the podcast as well. Uh, let's get into some ACC, you know, kickoff stuff. Obviously, you know, the um, <laughs> conference realignment has, has reared its ugly head. Um, actually, let's start there. So the report is that Oklahoma and Texas could be looking to jump to the SEC. Um, in looking at the statements from all of those parties, the commissioner of the SEC, as well as those two schools, it, it I don't see a single denial out there, at least as of, you know, 10 after nine on Wednesday, maybe that all happens. This feels like, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, what this feels like to me is, is that somebody got wind of this and they're trying to stop it, right? They're trying to, 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 to kind of blow it up a little bit. And that's why this thing got out when it did. But certainly the Texas people, you know, all the, you know, Jeff Ketchum and those folks over at Orange Bloods, uh, you know, they, they, they smell smoke and they find fire, right? Um, there's a lot out there that this is legit. I, I don't know if it can work out. Um, I think, you know, I saw a report tonight that said Texas A&M and Missouri were like hard nodes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you are. Um, <laughs> I think it takes four schools to basically nix any additions. Um, I don't know how... It would work to get Texas A&M and Missouri out if they wanted to replace them with Texas and Oklahoma. But anyway, um, in general, Ferber, let's start with you. Is this is this something you're following? Is this something you care about? Do you do you think this is even in the realm of real possibility, or is this just silly season folks talking? Um, you know, this is what we do in the summer. What do you think? This is where I think it it, it really matters to know like who is talking and who is saying what and are people you trust the ones reporting it and think that it could happen or are people just saying it? Right. Um, it seems to me that like it, I don't want to say it could happen because there's a lot of stuff that would have to happen before it would happen. But it seems to me like it's at least in the, in the works or like being talked about because like you said, those denials were not denials. Like how easy would it have been to just be like, yeah, this is untrue. We have no interest in leaving the league period. End of story. There's there that, that would have been the easiest way to do it. And, and they were just like, we're not going to comment on that. Um, and so basically did the SEC. So, um, you know, we Texas and Oklahoma have been talked about in, in realignment a lot. I mean, I remember a long time ago, there were rumors they were going to go to the Pac-12. The Big 12 has always been the most vulnerable, it feels, of the conferences because they are just super reliant on two teams. Um, and you know, they're not completely outside of the SEC footprint, as you know. I mean, like Missouri's in the in the SEC. Obviously, there's already a Texas school, and then every state that borders them to the east pretty much. So, um, I mean, I think it could happen. I, I'd say it's probably like a coin flip or better now. Like, I actually think that it could happen. Um, what it means is, I mean, like, again, there'll probably be some sort of trickle down from there because I don't see how the Big 12 can, like, remain with what they have. Like, I mean, they would have to – dramatically reinvent themselves and even then i don't know if that would be enough to to be considered you know a power five league 
Um, I don't know who you would add to make that happen, which means that they're probably vulnerable to more exits um, and so on and so forth. I mean, this is kind of what happened 10 years ago or so, right? When Nebraska went to the Big Ten and Colorado went to the Pac-12 and then everything sort of just started snowballing. You know, the ACC went and got Syracuse and Pitt um, and then eventually Notre Dame kind of and Louisville replaced Maryland and all that stuff. Um, you know, th this could definitely happen. Um, what it means for the UVA and the ACC and all that remains to be seen. The one thing I will say, I can say this, I feel pretty good about this. I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if like UV, people always say about where could UVA end up getting caught up in this? I would say almost surely not. Like they, it doesn't seem like they have any interest in leaving the league. They're pretty much tied to the league now through the grant of rights stuff that got signed when Notre Dame came on. Um, and I don't see them moving and I don't think they want to move. And I think they'd be probably looking to expand if anything else, the league. So, um, people always are like, Oh, what about the big 10? And it's like, that's not happening. So, um, yeah, I think that's where we are. It's definitely interesting fodder. Um, they could have timed it a little better and done it a little earlier in the off season when things are a little bit more boring <laughs> instead of like right before football starts. But, um, it also was reported by a major newspaper. So I think that there's some legit smoke in this one. So, yeah, I mean, I think the timing of it is what makes it more real to me. Um, cause I don't think yep. this is like some B, you know, BS rumor you want floating around, especially leading into media days during media days. Yeah. yeah. You want all eyes on your conference, not the one you might be going to or the teams you might be losing from it. So yeah, it, it definitely, yeah, I can't remember the tweet who you, who sent the tweet to me, but yeah, that God saying it was more fire than smoke. And you know, we're many hours since the first tweet about it and no denial. Um, yeah. Be interesting. I think, you know, eventually at some point you get a conference with enough teams, like, you know, people joke about just all the teams forming their own league without own league without the NCAA. It can you, continues to become closer and closer because yeah, I mean, the SEC becomes a absolute juggernaut if you add Texas and Oklahoma to, you know, they are, they already are, but I don't know what they are now. They, the super death star. Yeah. Um, I mean, their TV deal would just, and I don't even know how like Texas's TV deal would fit into this with their own network, but it would, their media deal would just be like ridiculous. I'm guessing te Texas would have to do away with that or share the revenue equally. The SEC is going to let them in. Or they could um, use it only for like, like non-revenue sports or something. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also like, um, can't remember what I read. Is it Notre Dame that has their own network or? BYU uh, does. No, no B, but there's some, oh, I can't remember that. I, re, I read too much during the day. And these there little is another team breaks. that has it, and I can't think of what it is. It's not I nearly it's on the level of, it's not nearly on the level of the Longhorn Network. I feel like it. it's Notre Dame has started their own thing. Um, and maybe Dabo Sweeney was commenting how he'd like to do it there. Um, but anyway, so like eventually you'll get that because it's an opportunity for the schools to sell ad space. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, and obviously it would have to be some dominoes. Look, the ACC without this expansion is in a place where they need to figure out something to make their TV deal competitive. Um, you know, and every time these schools, these leagues add a new team, they get to renegotiate and make the ACC's deal look even more ridiculously bad. Um, and that's just a competitive disadvantage. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's fun. It, it would have, you're right, it would have been a lot more fun if we could have tied up our, you know, June and early July with this discussion. Um, 
but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, I feel bad for the for the bad SEC teams if they start adding those guys to, you know, if they add UT and uh, OU. That's incredible. Yeah, who and, gets which stuck in the West? To the, <laughs> the West Division is just yeah, the murderers row. Sorry, yeah. Ole Miss. I enjoyed that. Was it Texas A.M. Texas A&M, I think it was AD today, like basically like, oh, we're, we're fine. We're the only school from Texas in the SEC. I bet you are. <laughs> yeah, you and are. also, well, also, I thought it was interesting. This was probably like the the most interesting, like non-denial denial I saw was he he said that. He was like, we, you know, we intend on being the only SEC, t- you know, program in the state. But then the next thing he said was like, but we'll also like, you know, we'll continue to see what happens, that kind of stuff, like very vague like he kind of knows it's happening or like, is in, in you know, possible. And so he's not like, that'll never happen. It's just more like, that's what we want. You know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so additionally today, obviously the ACC kickoff, um, some conversation about COVID and vaccination and things like that. Um, obviously, um, you know, as we, we try to get back to some sort of normalcy or at least something resembling it, um, with the Delta variant kind of, uh, becoming much more of a thing lately, it does seem like, you know, um, our initial sort of hopes that things would get back to quote unquote normal soon have, have kind of been shelved a little bit. It certainly feels like now the mask will be a more uh, of a bigger thing and maybe we can get more people vaccinated, whatever. Um, but I'm curious what we think of the big picture for the season ahead Certainly Broncos talked about the need to be more physical and certainly the, that that played a part last year. Dave, we talked a lot about that throughout the season, that it didn't look like a Virginia team. And what you've seen from Broncos so far, how comfortable and confident are you that that part is going to be fixed? I mean, it certainly felt like that to me in the spring, but I'm curious to get your vantage point on it. I, mean, I don't know how much he can fix alone. Um, you know, it's also going to be the players and how comfortable they are getting back to it. But look, I, they're kids. They want to get back to what they've done, right? Um, they want to play in front of fans and, and, you know, and have their experience, um, hang out with their, their brothers outside of the, outside of the weight room and outside of the practice room, um, be a college kid. So I'm confident all these schools are going to, it's probably going to be the easiest fall camp coaches have had in a long time because the kids are for once are going to be excited to be in it. Um, cause you know, it's usually a grind for football guys you, you talk to you know you, you listen to guys after the guys of the game they tell you how brutal you know august and the fall was for him but this year i don't think it will be um but it'll be interesting like i mean i i think some of broncos comments today made it like it, we knew it just hearing him last year like how much of his time was spent dealing with non-football stuff um and i think twice today he made the comment that like that's just not sustainable. Like that much focus outside what helps them win and lose isn't sustainable. So look, the guy, despite how intellectual he is and how, how, how you know thoughtful he is with all his answers, he's a football guy and he's going to get a chance to coach football again. So I'm sure that passion is going to, you know, going to help push things. And, you know, Lord knows the strength coaches are excited to get the guys back and, and be able to work with them. So, I mean, I know I'm looking forward to it. What about you, Ferber? What do you think? Yeah, I think for UVA, those problems are not as big of a deal than as they might be at other places just because um, it seems like just because the university mandated it, like, you know, they're 
going to have everybody vaccinated. They're not going to have to have as much concern for, you know, protocols and stuff as some other places might. And hopefully less positive tests as a result, obviously too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Dave's right. I think everybody wants the normalcy having a full season and getting to look forward to full crowds. And like, it doesn't feel like um, the rug could be pulled out from you at any moment. And obviously we're not completely home free with the pandemic. Um, you know, there's still issues with the variant and all that stuff, but I think, you know, we're, in, we're obviously in a much different place than we were a year ago where we didn't know if there was going to be a season. And then even when there was each game, could you know be canceled the day of as we found out um i think the players will be fired up and ready to go hopefully stay healthy um both injury wise and health wise um and just you know get ready for the season and i think things will be good but hopefully that won't be as big of a concern um for them obviously it won't be as big of a concern as it was last year but um the fact that I think UVA has already cleared the probably the most important hurdle. I mean, you heard the SEC commissioner talking yesterday about how like he's still concerned about where his team's vaccination rates are. And like I said, with the variant going around, um, I think that that could be a problem. I mean, if, if teams have, you know, a, a break, you know, outbreak in the middle of the season, but um, I hope that we're, we're past that for the most part. And, and for UVA, I think hopefully there won't be any issues with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard, maybe I just missed it. Um, but I know there's not a lot of policies out yet on what the leagues are going to do, um, test-wise, especially. You know, I guess if you're asymptomatic and you've got the vaccine, no need to test you. Um, we don't have any really clear any clarity on what they're going to do if someone does have symptoms or if they're unvaccinated, how often are they going to get tested. Um, yeah, my yeah, understanding earlier in the ahead. summer was that, and this came out – forget what sporting event was going on um but there were some issues with testing and people were I, I i saw somewhere they were saying like if you're over a certain threshold of vaccination for your team you're considered like i know that the, i'm not an epidemiologist but yeah like herd immune so basically like they're not gonna have to test you and obviously yeah. they can test you if like there's a kid that's sick or something but once you reach that level it's like okay well it's easier to go day to day without having to worry about it yeah, you know, I think that's true, but you know, there's got to be a, it's got to be conference policy for the teams who aren't at that level, mm -hmm. and because these are amateurs, like I think there's going to be a little more protection than you would give for like a pro locker room in that situation. So, I mean, the only reason I bring it up, so I don't think it's going to be a huge deal this year, especially in the ACC, because it seems like most teams are treating are trending towards requiring vaccination. I think six so far have already do have done it. Um, the rest of them will probably follow suit, but the SEC doesn't seem likely to do it. And it's going to be really interesting if, like, a playoff caliber team has to forfeit a game because of this. Um, so, you know. Well, it's not going to be Alabama. <laughs> no, it's not going to be Alabama. I promise you that. But, yeah. yeah. And then how, how do you deal with interconference? Because that wasn't really a thing last year. Um, not to the level it'll be this year. So, I mean, I still think there's some, there's some stuff that will come out. I'm sure there's going to be at some point some issue with it. Hopefully nowhere near what we saw last year, which was, like, what, 20% of the ACC games or something. Yeah. Um, I think you could end up seeing something similar to what we saw in, in some pro sports this year where it's like, Oh, so-and-so isn't playing because he has COVID. Like, yeah. Or like what we're seeing in Tokyo right protocol. now. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Oh, well the game's still like, there's no doubt about the game being played. 
or whatever. Yeah. It's it's just this one guy is not going to be available. Just yeah, like I mean, it the, would if he got banged up or something. Like yeah, I mean the nice thing about the vaccinations, if your team's vaccinated, even if you get it, it doesn't tend to spread at the same rate as if they're unvaccinated. You're and not, also, it's like likely they, to knock out a whole room. You don't have to yeah, my contact trace. Too is like you're not contact trace if you're yeah, vaccinated. that's the big thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. I don't know how to get into this without it sounding bad. So I apologize in advance, but I'm curious what we talk about when this was our first real glimpse of the new commissioner. And I, I well, first off, I want to be very clear that I, what I saw today, I, I, I mean, I want to see more, but one, Jim Phillips is definitely not John Swafford. And two, of all the times for you to be going for changing of the guard, I wonder if the ACC not. And this is again, I, I, like I said, I, I don't want this to sound bad. I, I don't. This is not. I don't mean this ill of Jim, right? But I kind of would feel a little bit more comfortable if was at the teal. You know, like if he was at the helm of the of the ship, like right now, like I feel like I would feel a little bit better. Like I just feel like this is a rough time to be breaking in somebody brand new. Um, now and I then understand you realignment on top of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, now I understand for a lot of people, right? There's a whole, you know, Carolina this and that. Okay, f- fair enough. But I mean, the dude knows everybody and he understands all the, you know, pieces at play and he also he's not going to get taken, right? Like that's just not the way he works. Um, he understands, you know, all the pieces and how they all need to move and how they fit together. I didn't see anything from Phillips today. I mean, I thought his focus on, on football and his focus especially on Comcast. I love the fact that the league is going to start, you know, trying to make use its leverage for once, right? Putting those games on the ACC network that they know, like that Virginia Tech-Notre Dame game being on the ACC network, that's going to move the needle a little bit. Um, and the thing for me is somebody who sort of pays attention to sort of the technology slash, like, media side of this all thing. Like, you're not going to get people specifically because they're going to complain they don't have Comcast, right? Or excuse me, they don't that the Com- that Comcast doesn't have the ACC network. What you really need to do is you need to be able to 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 warrant the fees that you desperately need, right? You need those carriage fees, right? You the league desperately needs them, um, and whatever negotiations you have, you need to you need to put out a product to show that those fees are, are legitimate. And certainly, you know, the, the negative side of like, Oh, this game is on this channel that you don't get. So you can call Comcast and complain. Complaining helps to some degree, but it's not going to actually win the day. What wins the day are numbers. And that that's the big thing. Um, I think his focus there was very important. And certainly you could point to Swafford and say like, well, you launched a network and you didn't get it on Comcast slash Xfinity. But beyond that, I thought uh, I thought Phillips did a good job. I just I'm not I don't know, man. Like, the more I think about it, the more I'm just a little bit leery of having a change of the guard at the top. Dave, let's start with you. What did you did you pay any attention to what the new commissioner no, had to say? I um, did not see a single second of what he had to say today. So I'm gonna, I'll bow out if Fer- Ferber did. But Ferber, did um, you see anything I, from him? Not a word. <laughs> yeah, y'all, man, y'all really real uh, jobs and stuff. That's nah, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I gotta well, get the, Bezos into space. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you were you were one of the reasons he got there. 
Um, yeah. So, but I do, I did put a, a I mean, I understand your concerns about new leadership at this point. Um, but yeah, the PAC 12 is going through the same thing. Um, but I mean, I think from a, I mean, I guess the counterpoint would be, look, he came from a league where his school was getting a bunch of money from a TV deal and the schools aren't getting that here. And, um, whether he's the guy to guide that negotiation or the expansion, I don't know. Um, but also don't know that Swafford was the guy to do that again because he got us the last TV deal. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I think um, it matters a lot more. Like, I mean, obviously you want to have good negotiators at the table, but at some point it just matters like what what product you're putting out. Like, I don't. I mean, I don't think like you can come in and be like trick ESPN into thinking that your league is more valuable than they already know it is. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like they, they're, yeah. they're paying, they're not paying the sec because the sec is good at negotiating. They're paying the sec <laughs> yeah, yeah. because they're people watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we all know. Go get Notre Dame. Well, I don't want to do it. Part of the needle mover. His, 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 he, I mean, he could not have, could he have been any more forward about one, you know, um, it's just, you know, <laughs> Um, I mean, at some point, like, obviously, you know, if the ACC is going to get a new TV deal, there has to be expansion or just the contract has to run out or they have to get some blackmail over ESPN or something. But, um, I mean, well, I yeah, at what. some point, like, well, at some point, if you, like, beg Notre Dame to come, like, Notre Dame's going to say, all right, we're coming, but we're taking 20% or whatever you sign. Like, so yeah, I mean, you, be, you can only yeah, beg with be so much. like that. I think too. Um, one thing that the ACC could do, and maybe I'm just the alone in this, but I think all of the programming around the ACC network is trash. Like, uh, and that might sound harsh, and I don't mean that to be harsh. I just think that the methodology, and this is not specific to the talent. This is specific to the methodology. Like, the way that they don't they don't seem to emphasize football enough, and when they do, it's just you have you have people who are not necessarily sort of football oriented folks talking about it more often. And you have these other sports where these other people are talking about it. And I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get you some, some, some familiarity with the personalities. And I appreciate that. But in terms of the way that you, you sort of treat the viewer, right? Like if you watch the sec network and you watch what they, what they talk about and what they show and how that's, you know, that interaction, it's very different from the ACC network. And you know, I personally would love to see the ACC network have some revamp, right? You launched it. I mean, like, think about like, you know, let me use an example. Um, when the app, when Apple launched the Apple watch, right. They were like, Oh, you're going to use all these apps and it's going to be great. No, no, it's a fitness device. It's a fitness device, which handles my notifications, right? The ACC network launched and it was a thing. Okay, great. Well, now you've had some time to figure out what it should be and what it shouldn't be. What can you make some changes? And that's one of those places where I hope Phillips actually has an impact. Right. Which is, yeah, this is what you you thought it was going to be off the ground. Maybe this is not necessarily what you want it to be going forward. And maybe that can help your overall product. Again, you're talking about not just wanting people to watch games because you put games on, but you're also asking them to watch it other times, too. Right. Ultimately, it is a revenue driver for the league. It is the biggest revenue driver, the TV deal. Right. So I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm alone in that, but I just I watch the AC network and I cringe, and it's really difficult for me to watch it. And whether that's you know uh, a function of some misguided um, direction, 
or whether that's, you know, a function of just, you know, not understanding what the product should be. I don't know, but I do or think we need to make some changes. Yeah. Or is there a function of starting off your ACC network day with two old dudes in a basement? I mean, it's I just, listen, I, people bag on them. Like <laughs> but, I understand like you, you need look, like some they're sort of fine. Morning they shouldn't be your, like, that shouldn't be your morning show. Like that energy is not like that. And that's honestly, I don't mind their show. Like it's a, a mid afternoon, lazy hour. Uh, show. Yeah. I, I think, think that's a fine. good, yeah, that's, that's probably um, fair. And you know, but if, but they use Packer and Durham, to like debut all their stuff, right? Yeah, see, I think that's see that's, a that's, good, the, that's there's a, no energy there. Example. Like, yeah. why are they the, like that's the, why are they the vehicle that delivers the schedule? You know, yeah, to to, to to people in and around the area, right? Those two guys obviously are sort of institutions, right? Whether that's familiar, whether that's them, but uh, but ultimately in like, the North Carolina the, area, right? Are. Exactly, yeah. but like who yeah. who in in most any other state, uh, even you, you know what I mean? Like these are not guys who have who have you know who were who were sort of in the stratosphere and then came to the ACC network, right? Like you know, like think about like Mark Richt, right? At least he's somebody that a lot of fans probably know, right? No offense to, to anybody else, but it's just like they like they're not going to carry this thing. So why are they the vehicle through which you launch all this stuff? Right? Just because they happen to be on TV at that time? Like that's a that seems like a bad reason. Um and I also feel like they should be ahead. trying to like corner the market in basketball. Like Yeah, they, they should, should be doing yeah, and, and I understand they should be like, doing like college game day for basketball. And I mean yeah, obviously exactly. they couldn't have done that last year because of COVID, but like they could but, like take it on the road and do all kinds of stuff. Here's well, then, a question for you, not, not to add to this, but if the ACC wants to do something different, can they not allow their student athletes to be the host and get paid for it now? Like, can you not have DJ yeah, should be. or yeah. Derek King in there? Yeah. Like I know their coaches won't like it. You know, an hour, you know, 30 minutes in the morning, like instead of doing some local media, they're on the HCC network talking about their opponent or just interviewing their other players from the league. I think, you know, I think that's a way the ACC can sell itself. Like, hey, come here. If you're, you're the guy who wants to be on TV, we'll put you on the ACC network. I also think for the most part, so. maybe it's just me, but I've always felt this way. I think these networks function as a platform for games and everything else around it is sort of just killing time until there's a game. Like, I don't think the SEC network is like that different or the Big Ten network. It's just like, oh, here's some old games and, you know, here's Feinbaum and, you know, let me know when Texas A&M's playing South Carolina and I'll watch it. (laughs) You know, like, I feel like that's kind of what they're, they're just kicking the can until there's a game to put on. And I think they've done a pretty good job with like some of the documentary stuff, um, but you can only see the same documentary so many times. I mean, um, I'm sure yeah. Dave is very excited for the 1990 football one that got. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it till about halftime of the Georgia Tech. Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, yeah, I think I'm not like super worried about the network or whatever. It's just more, I, I think that they probably do need to. Um, I mean, obviously, getting Comcast would just be a huge thing for them but um yeah i mean like i i but i'm honestly probably not the person to talk to about this because i don't watch it a lot of tv during the day you know like i i just don't so dude okay hard on let's let's talk about that for a second though i'm not one of those people either right you know even you know even though obviously you know i work in sports and you know i work from home I, i i can't take talking head shows right 
I think mm-hmm. that there's got to be somewhere in between. I was thinking about this the other day. I was reading a story about the NBA Finals and ESPN's halftime, quote-unquote, show, right? And it's like eight seconds of conversation, and then they go to some ad or some you know, package, right? Like, there's no actual analysis. There's no actual conversation. And I think about, like, the way the ACC Network does things, and it's very similar. Everything is like, basically, it's like handoffs, right? One guy, one girl says a sentence or two, and then they say something to somebody else, and then that person says a sentence or two. They're not talking about the game. I understand that the ACC, because so many of these athletic departments are more than just in revenue sports, that they're going to be coverage of other sports. And that's great. Like, that's exactly what the network should do. But the problem I see is that if you think about what's actually on the network, like, there should be a focus for basketball. They should act like football is a big deal. And it shouldn't necessarily be just the same people doing those things because you need different expertise, right? You don't need, you know, an architect and a guy who makes pizza who to in order to you know lay your your drywall right like you you need people who do what they do right you need people who understand concepts of football concepts of basketball and they need to be talking about those things and fans nowadays who are going to watch a network they're not watching it because you talk for eight seconds and handed it off to somebody else they're watching it because they want to be invested in the game of all the times where this like drive-by journalism doesn't work it's now Like, think about what are the models in sports media right now that work? It's when fans of teams get exactly what they want, which is to talk about their teams and the games, right? That's why podcasts are so popular because it's like, oh, I like, you know, even like, and they're going to talk about this for 45 minutes. Yeah. It's like if I'm a UVA football fan, um, you know, like I'd rather listen to, I'm not going to say our show, but a show that'll talk about like UVA's game against William and Mary rather than, um, if that's what I'm really interested in, rather than like a drive-by of like 50 different things, um, unless you know you're interested in the sport at large. But I think also what you're describing is just a problem with like sports media in general. ESPN at large is like they just it's so much of the hot take shows and uh, very much drive. That's why people like College Game Day. It's like they actually kind of get into stuff like. It's like, oh, we're going to do a feature on this, and then we'll jump to this other thing. But, like, also, it's, like, only about college football for, like, three hours. Um, and I think that's why people – that's it gets good ratings. Um, whereas I think, like, stuff that's more broad is just, like, not as appealing. And, yeah, I mean, I understand your concerns about the network for sure. So beyond that, I, I just – you know, I think that there should be some changes. I hope that Phillips is the guy who can institute some of those changes. Um, or if not, put at least put the people in place who can can do that. Um, you know, I think one of the benefits that 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 Virginia has that you know um, you know whole athletic department schools right is that you, you know your product your 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 teams right are going to be out there. Um, certainly, the league has a, a benefit in the sense that Jimmy Pitaro, who is the head of ESPN now, it, it comes from the college side, right? Was uh, at Syracuse, so. There's that piece of it, but man, I just, I look at it and it's just like, you need to move the needle in order to kind of, you know, get through that ceiling into that next echelon. And there's just a handful of things that got to get straight. Certainly having more teams in football that are better, that can win, that can, you know, move forward. That would be a great step in the right direction. Um, We'll get into sort of the way the league works. Once we get into next week, we'll probably talk about, all ACC voting and all that fun stuff. But I think, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Um, 
I am uh, very appreciative of, um, of, of everybody who continues to support the podcast. If you are somebody who had found it through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. And if you don't mind, you can look us up on literally all of the podcast apps. If we're not there, we should be. So let me know. Um, and if you're so inclined to give us a rating review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out, capscorn.com. Uh, there was another offer, <laughs> a basketball offer, even after the one that was the new offer. Yeah, so so lots, of con- lots of conversation about offers uh, on the board. Obviously, um, Ferber had a brought the film room back uh, for the preseason, talking about cutting down on interceptions. So that's on the site. Um, let's see, we've got stuff. Obviously, the war room has been a, a big hit of late, and we'll be back at it on Friday. So you can give us a look at CavsCorner.com. Um, all right. So again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for being gracious labor their time as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for uh, David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. There's something for-